and welcome to the American Patchwork and Quilting Podcast, a podcast aimed at making your quilting life more fun and creative while connecting with quilters just like you. Join the staff of the magazines you love for a great episode filled with tips and tricks. Enjoy! Hi, and welcome to the American Patchwork and Quilting Podcast. I'm Lindsay Mayland, and I'm so excited to be here with you. Before we get started with this episode, I just want to remind our listeners to take our podcast survey. You can find the link in the show notes. Your answers will be used to make our podcast even better. And as a thank you, one respondent will receive a $250 Visa gift card. So we really appreciate everyone who's already answered our questions. It's so helpful for us. So on today's show, we're talking scrappy quilts. Whether you have a large scrap pile you're working through or want to start collecting scraps to make your first scrappy quilt, these tips will help your quilt look its best. We chat with Brenda Grouse from Handy Quilter about collecting and finishing antique quilt tops. We also share the history of charm quilts, one of our staff members' most cherished quilts, and a product we're loving. So let's dive in. Scrappy quilts are so fun to make and are great stash busters, but they require some thought to get the look you want for your quilt. I'm here with Jody Sanders, the editor of American Patchwork and Quilting, who's our office scrap queen. So I'm excited to chat with her on tips for making a scrappy quilt. Well, thanks, Lindsay. First of all, let's maybe talk about the definition of a scrap quilt. Scrap quilts are quilts that seem to be sewn with just a random assortment of fabric, kind of like the quilter just put their hand in a bin of fabric and pulled out pieces without even looking. Historically, many scrap quilts were kind of make-do projects, and they were sometimes pieced with leftover fabric or even things from leftover or worn-out clothing items. Now, they were thriftier and more utilitarian probably, but today scrap quilts are still popular with people who just love fabric and want to use as many as possible in their quilts. So scrap quilts may look like they were made at random, but actually a lot of thought needs to go into a scrap quilt, right, Jody? Oh, absolutely. Many times scrap quilts rely on contrast, value, and even color to get a clear design across. So although you're using a variety of fabrics, you still want to make sure that the pattern's design is being showcased. So you want to select a range of light, medium, and dark fabrics to get that contrast. If you're unsure about that and if your fabrics have enough contrast, take a picture of them with your phone and then convert the picture to black and white. If you don't see a strong difference in the photo, your quilt may end up with kind of a mushy design in the end. So add or delete fabrics and take more photos until you're happy with that result. Great idea. So besides thinking about the contrast of your fabrics, what else should you think about when choosing fabrics? Does any and all fabric truly belong in a scrap quilt? Well, for me, anything kind of goes when it comes to choosing fabric for scrappy quilts. You can mix reproduction with contemporary prints. You can choose stripes or florals, add in a few batiks or some tone-on-tones. There really aren't a lot of rules, and oftentimes those fabrics that really aren't your favorites, once you cut them up, they add that extra sparkle to your scrap quilt. Exactly. I think that sparkle of scrappy quilts is what appeals to many quilters. 
So if you're sewing a scrap quilt, make sure about 25% of your medium and dark prints are brighter than the others, and then scatter them around the quilt. This will really draw the eye around the quilt and give it that little something extra. So Jody, is there a rule of thumb on how many fabrics should appear in a quilt to make it scrappy? You know, it's really a personal opinion, I think. It depends on your own personal taste. There's a whole spectrum. There's quilters that make charm quilts, and that's the type of quilt where none of the fabrics are repeated. Now, other quilters like to make what we call control scrap quilts. And that, in that case, maybe what they'll do to control the design a little bit is to use a single background print rather than an assortment. So, Lindsay, where do you fall on that spectrum? What kind of scrappy quilter are you? So I'm definitely more on the controlled scrappy side of the spectrum. I love the look of scrappy quilts, but when I try to make them, I find myself falling into a specific color palette or using similar type fabrics like all tone-on-tones. So no matter my best intentions on making something truly scrappy, my brain just can't seem to let go just yet. What about you, Jody? Well, you know me. I'm <laughs> kind of on the opposite end. So for me, it's the more the merrier. I love it. So next, let's talk about the types of patterns that are great for scrappy quilts, because not all patterns may work well for scrappy. So to be successful, you want to choose a good one. Yeah, there are some patterns that actually lend themselves um, better for scrappy quilts than others. So things like string quilts, log cabin blocks, trip around the world quilts, those are all popular designs that use scraps and look wonderful with a variety of fabrics. Now also one patch quilts are also great. So things like pre-cut charm squares, uh, diamond shapes, or hexagons are also great designs to make scrappy quilts. Those are all great options. So I'm sure many of our listeners save scraps and have scrap bins to pull from for those types of projects. But what if you want to attempt a scrappy quilt but don't have a stockpile yet? Is there anything you can do? You know, it actually doesn't take too long for your <laughs> scraps to pile up, um, especially if you're actively working on projects and quilts. But instead of throwing away your leftovers, save those scraps. And if you do have leftover fabric from your project you just finished, maybe cut that yardage into smaller pieces instead of pitting, putting the whole big piece back into your stash. Yeah, you can also consider asking friends, family, or quilt groups you belong to for their scraps. A few years ago, I didn't save any of my scraps, and I was very happy to give them to others who wanted them. So just put out the feelers that you're looking for scraps, and soon you will have bags of them arriving at your doorstep. <laughs> and another thing you can do is you can join or you can host a quilt block exchange. And that's helpful um, if there's many of the size units or blocks in a quilt. You want to make certain that you get a certain number of units, and then you can trade those units with others, and you'll have a variety in no time for your finished quilt. Great idea. Scrappy quilts are so fun to make. If you want to get started, we have a lot of scrappy patterns online that we'll link to in the show notes. Thanks, Jody. Thanks, Lindsay. We'll be back after this quick ad break. Welcome to Getting Social. On today's interview, Jody Sanders, the editor of American Patchwork and Quilting, chats with Brenda Growls, the VP of Marketing and Education at Handy Quilter. Brenda has been in the quilting industry for more than 25 years. In the past, as the owner of a quilt pattern and book publishing company, 
working at a quilt tour company, and teaching and lecturing at guilds. She's also a very talented quilter herself and a collector of vintage quilts. She's a wealth of information, and we know that Jody could have chatted with her forever. But on today's interview, they focus on collecting and finishing antique quilts and the tips and tools to be successful in machine quilting an antique quilt. Enjoy! This is Jody Sanders, editor of American Patchwork and Quilting. And today I'm joined by Brenda Grells from Handy Quilter. And Brenda and I are both people who love to collect antique quilts and antique quilt tops. And today we want to talk about uh, maybe finishing some of those tops that you've purchased and how we would go about that. But first of all, Brenda, I would love for you to tell folks how you got into, um, because I know you're a maker as well. And so I'd also like you to tell folks about how you got into collecting vintage quilts. I'd be really happy to do so. I'm the first quilter in my family, Jody, and I fell in love with quilts as a little girl. I went to a country school, and uh, the ladies who quilted uh, that were associated with our school, it was a church school, so they had a little quilting group, and every Thursday they took over half of our gymnasium and they quilted, and I'd never seen a quilt before then, but they hooked me on the color and the pattern, and, and I fell in love with quilts. Grew up with a mom who sewed, taught me how to sew, and so quilts was just a natural extension of the things I love to do. Um, Jody, you and I share some roots. We're both Midwest gals, right? Right. I, I grew up in Nebraska, and, and then I married a Nebraska farmer and raised a little group of kids there in Nebraska on the farm, and one of my favorite things to do was to go to farm sales which were often a sale that was held to dispose of things when someone had passed away. And I found that there were often quilts on those sales and nobody was interested in them because the people who came to those farm sales wanted the tools and the equipment and some of the household items got left to the end. I was always the one there with a baby on my hip and a toddler at my ankle waiting for that box of quilts to come up for sale. So I started my collecting in that way. A lot of times those quilts uh, weren't finished, and uh, so I ended up with a collection of quilt tops, too. Have you got quilt tops in your collection? I do, and what I'm curious about is I tend to, kind of my favorite time period right now is about 1890 to 1910. I love shirtings and the indigos, um, the morning grays, and I'm wondering, do you have a special or a specific time period or maybe genre of quilts that you like to collect? So I, I'll just, I like it all. I, I think I'm, I probably have that in common with a lot of quilters, that I do love them all. I even like Sunbonnet Sue, believe it or not. Some people seem to have a love-hate relationship with her, but I have uh, determined that I, I'm trying to become, have the world's largest collection of Sunbonnet Sue quilts. So I've got a lot of those too. And I end up with a lot of tops, uh, I used to do lectures and go to quilt guilds and talk about old quilts and it was easier to carry quilt tops with me rather than quilts that had batting in them already. And that allowed you to carry a lot more quilts with you, right? Because they were unfinished tops and maybe just one layer versus three layers of something. Right, you can get a lot more tops into a suitcase. But then uh, through the years here, I've done a lot of things. I was a magazine editor like you are today and I am now working as the VP of Marketing and Education for Handy Quilter. And at Handy Quilter, we're all about finishing quilts. And I was not a long armor when I came to Handy Quilter. And uh, 
like a lot of new long armors, I wanted something to practice on. And maybe something I hadn't already had a lot of blood, sweat, and tears invested in, like mm -hmm. a quilt top that took me a long time to piece. So I started buying vintage quilt tops on eBay, uh, ones that were offered for not, not much money, you know, under $50, that I thought I could practice on this. And even if I'm not a good quilter, at least I didn't ruin $200 worth of new fabric. That's a great um, idea and thought maybe for people who didn't realize that you actually can quilt vintage tops. Um, there are maybe some considerations you need to take into as far as, um, you know, how brittle the fabric might be. You know, you want to kind of test it a little bit and look at it. Uh, but maybe you can talk um, and let readers know when you get ready to machine quilt a vintage top, uh, what are some of the considerations that you have maybe as far as what design? How do you design what pick or, you know, pick the design uh, that you want to machine quilt? So you've opened up um, kind of that proverbial can of worms here because there are different opinions about it. Some folks are real purists and believe that a, a vintage quilt top, especially if it was hand pieced, should only be hand quilted. I am from the school of thought that if it was going to get hand quilted, it probably would have been. And there's a reason why a lot of quilt tops are not quilted. If you lay them out on the floor, you'll discover a lot of them are waving back at you. Those borders are really wavy or they're not well pieced. So I would never machine quilt a quilt top that I thought had any possibility of being a museum quality kind of piece. And typically that's not what would be available on eBay anyway. Um, those tend to be more recognizable. They're, the quilt tops I collect often have problems and um, sometimes they're soiled. And um, one important thing to think about when you're going to quilt a vintage quilt top is never to launder it before you quilt it. That might give you the heebie-jeebies to think about it because it maybe has stains or maybe it doesn't smell so great, but those seam allowances are really fragile in an old top. Uh, Jody, you mentioned brittle fabric, and some of those fabrics are pretty uh, fragile, and obviously if you tug at it a bit and it tears, I wouldn't invest the time in quilting it. I would just fold it gently and hang it on a quilt rack to look at and admire. But I truly believe that the maker of that original quilt top would be thrilled to see how her quilt was finished by today's modern quilters. Uh, true confession time, I have not yet become a really good long arm quilter, but I am fortunate to work with a lot of excellent long arm quilters. And in my role at Handy Quilter, I often offer challenges to them. So I become an eBay vintage quilt top shopper and I pick quilts that have something my quilters call real estate. Do you know what I'm talking about, Jody? I would guess you're talking about maybe some open spaces or some sashing squares that would have an opportunity for them to maybe showcase some special machine quilting that they might be wanting to do. Well, you're, you are good. That's exactly what it is. And they refer to all that big, wide, open, negative spaces, real estate. Look at all that real estate, they'll say, when they get a quilt top from me. So they'll choose a quilt top that I've offered up for a challenge. And here's another place where there are two schools of thought about quilting. So if you land in the camp that says it's okay to machine quilt a vintage quilt top, 
the next question you ask is, what style should I quilt it in? Should I try to mimic what she might have done by hand and do a very traditional approach? Or should I do something different? And in the case of the challenges that I've offered my team, I'm looking for what they can bring to the genre themselves. What, what can they do to quilt this top in a way the maker never dreamed? And, and quite frankly, traditional hand quilting designs do not lend themselves well to long arm quilting because long arm quilting needs, all machine quilting needs to be continuous line. Uh, you don't want to start and stop the way a hand quilter will. And you're, not, you're no longer limited to uh, a quarter inch away from a seam line, which was probably traditionally done because you were trying to avoid all those seam allowances with your hand stitches. With a machine, you can stitch right through and on top of all of that. That is such a great tip about the trying to do maybe something very different than what you would traditionally think. Because I do think some people fall into, and, and it's not easy necessarily, but I think um, they they want it to mimic whatever that time period would be. But I love the idea of taking it a totally different direction and maybe doing a different design than, than what might be expected. Are there some um, threads or needles that are used in machines or something that are better for this type of machine quilting or um, it is, is it really up to the particular project itself? So it really depends on what you want that quilting to do. Do you want it to kind of hide away and match the background color? Are you looking to add texture or are you looking to add more design elements? So I find most of the long arm quilters I work with like to work with a very fine thread, uh, like a so fine from Superior. and. Uh, they're not picky about whether it's cotton or polyester. There's sort of an old wives' tale that says that polyester thread will cut through cotton fabric. That's not true. Uh, any more than cotton thread could cut through cotton fabric. It, it all depends on the tension you have on that uh, thread and how thick the thread is, how strong it is. So we find good quilters today are quilting with all kinds of threads, polyester and cotton both. It, one thing I think that uh, long armors love to do when they're showing off their quilting, Jody, is to layer a couple layers of batting in that quilt, believe it or not. They like to work with an 80-20 uh, scrimmed batting as a foundation layer that makes things very stable, and then they'll put a nice wool batting on top of it, and then the quilt top on top of that quilt around a motif and the wool fills out the motif and makes the quilting pop and it's a beautiful beautiful look. Wow that is another terrific tip. Now I know you've had several of these quilty, quilt tops that have been quilted and they've been exhibited in some shows quilt shows across the country. Um, is that something that you're going to continue to do or is like the challenge has been completed and now you're done with that? This has been such a popular challenge among my quilters that we just keep doing it. We have had two groups of quilts exhibited around the country and, uh, and actually we also have a group of vintage baby quilts that has traveled the country and there's a brand new collection of 30 vintage quilt tops that are being quilted right now that your readers are going to be able to see in shows in 2020. Oh, Brenda, thank you so much for joining us today. You're welcome. Good to be here. I loved Jody's chat with Brenda. 
Brenda just inspires the confidence in others to finish their quilts and learn new skills. We'll link to Handy Quilter's website in the show notes so that you can see videos, products, and more to help you on your long arm quilting journey. We'll be back after this quick ad break. I'm back with Jody Sanders for Collector's Corner, a segment where we explore antique quilts and notions and their history. So what are we talking about today, Jody? Today we're going to talk about charm quilts. And charm quilts are made using a different piece of fabric for each piece in the quilt. So these quilts contain hundreds or even thousands of pieces of different fabrics. And some people, myself included, will buy an unfinished quilt top just for the diversity of the fabric even if I never planned to finish the quilt itself. Now, when I started collecting quilts, I'd been a quilter for several years already, and I love making scrappy quilts. I have an understanding for the extra time that it takes to cut the variety of pieces that you need to make a super scrappy quilt. I've always preferred those kinds of quilts to those made with fewer fabrics, so I guess it only makes sense that when I started collecting quilts, those with more fabrics caught my eye. Now, charm quilts take scrappy quilts to a whole new level. Sometimes they're called beggar's quilts because of the difficulty of collecting so many different fabrics. It resulted in the quilt maker asking friends and family for pieces that they could add to their quilt. Charm quilts are usually a one-patch design quilt using one template and an overall pattern across the quilt top. So things like hexagons, triangles, diamonds, those were really popular geometric shapes when charm quilts were first started. In the 1930s, we saw the apple core as another design that was added as a really popular charm quilt design. Since it's about showcasing the fabric rather than the design of the quilt, you don't see many charm quilts in complicated patterns. Charm quilts are usually made with similar types of fabric uh, mostly cotton, and they often date from about the same 10 to 15 year time period. The fabric and charm quilts represent those of a particular quilt maker and what she had at that time in her life. So they're unique and making each one a unique work of that particular maker. One way to date a charm quilt is by a specific print that might be found. So for example, Centennial prints were made to celebrate the United States Centennial in 1876. There were several of these fabrics printed, and it's always exciting to find a centennial print in a charm quilt. In more recent years, charm quilts have had a surge of popularity, and in the late 1990s, as Y2K was approaching, quilters wanted to celebrate the new millennium with a quilt. Many quilters decide to make a quilt with 2,000 different fabrics. Trading with friends or those who belong to a list group had quilters making many trips to their local post office. In addition to collecting vintage charm quilts, I've also been making charm quilts. And I have one right now on my UFO list for this year that's 40 inches square, made of triangle squares, that has almost 800 fabrics in it. Wow, Jody, uh, you're going to have to post some photos of that as you get going on it on Instagram so our our listeners can uh, see that. So if you don't follow Jody at So More Quilts Mom on Instagram, you'll have to do that. Thanks, Jody. Now I'm here with Allison Gam, the designer of Quilts and More for My Most Cherished Quilt. 
On the last page of every issue of American Patchwork and Quilting, we're featuring a designer's most cherished quilt and the story behind it. And we thought it would be fun for our staff members to share theirs on the podcast. So Allison, why don't you tell the story about your most cherished quilt? I have many quilts that I've made over the years that I consider favorites, but it's the very first one that I made that stands out from the rest. When I say it's the first quilt I made, what I really mean is that it's the first quilt I helped put together. My mom had already had quilting experience under her belt at the time, and I wanted to try it out for myself to see if I would like the process. Plus, I wanted a quilt of my own. We went to the store and picked out fabrics and a pattern together. Since I had barely touched a sewing machine in my life, I mostly helped with ironing and figuring out fabric placement. I distinctly remember being in my mom's sewing room with all the pieces spread out on the floor, trying to figure out which layout would look best. It's not so much the quilt itself that I cherish, though I do always have it on display. I more cherish the memory I had putting it together. It was such a fun bonding experience to share with my mom. Every time I see that quilt, I just think of her and all of the quilting knowledge she's shared with me throughout the years since. Oh, that's so special, Allison. And of course, we would love to know all of our listeners' most cherished quilts and the story behind them. So if you're on Instagram, share a picture using the hashtag MyCherishedQuilt. Now Allison will be sharing what we're loving, a segment where we share the trend, product, or person we're loving right now. Allison, what are you loving? Well, every time I sit down to my sewing machine, I fall in love all over again. I sew on a baby lock crescendo that I've had for a couple of years now. Prior to sewing on the crescendo, I used a hand-me-down machine for my mom. It was actually a sear sewing machine that my mom used as a kid in the 70s. There was absolutely nothing wrong with that machine. In fact, I used it for years, but it could really only do a straight stitch. As my quilting skills grew, I also somewhat outgrew that Sears machine. In recent years, I've taken a liking to quilting wall size and smaller projects myself, so I wanted a machine that had a walking foot to make the process easier. The Crescendo has so many bells and whistles that I haven't even discovered or used yet, so it's definitely a machine I'll continue to grow into over the years. However, I do have a couple of favorite features that I use constantly. It has an automatic needle threader, which at first I thought sounded unnecessary, but now that I've used it, I don't ever want to look back. Every time I push that little button to thread the needle, it really makes me giddy. Why squint and struggle when you don't have to? Another feature that at first I thought sounded a little bougie was the automatic thread cutter. Really, it's not that hard to take a pair of snips and trim the threads when you're done sewing. But again, with the push of a button, the machine works its magic. And as long as I'm ooing and aahing over unnecessary but very useful features, I have to talk about the laser guide. The machine has a laser guide that you can turn on and off that projects a red beam of light straight out from your machine needle. I use this feature constantly when sewing half square triangles. It eliminates the work of drawing diagonal lines on all of your fabric before you get to the actual work of sewing. I also use this feature quite a bit when doing straight line quilting. After marking up my project with a hair marker, I use the laser guide to help make sure I'm sewing along the straight line. When I think of the crescendo, I think of the saying, work smarter, not harder. All the features I love about the machine were things I could manually do with my Sears machine. It just required a little bit of extra work. By no means do you have to have fancy or expensive equipment to make beautiful quilts. Some of my favorite projects I've actually made were completed on that Sears machine. But now that I have the crescendo, these extra features allow me to spend more time sewing and less time futzing. Plus, that walking foot really upped my quilting game. 
I love it. We'll link to that machine in the show notes in case anyone else wants to check it out. Hi, all, and thanks for listening. Keep in touch. American Patchwork and Quilting is on Facebook, Pinterest, and Instagram at All People Quilt. Email us at apqpodcast at meredith.com. Resources for this week can be found at allpeoplequilt.com slash podcast. And if you love the American Patchwork and Quilting podcast, please subscribe on your favorite podcast app for free. And don't forget to rate and review the show. It helps other quilters find us. Have a creative week.